Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the We Are Podcast and the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. He's Corey Geiger. I'm Jared Pugar. Corey, it, we are well into the offseason. Georgia is now the national champions. They beat Alabama on Monday, which seems like it was forever ago. Um, when In the grand scheme of things, just with the way that this week has gone. But alas, Kirby Smart outduels. Nick Saban, you don't really ever see that. And the way that they did it was pretty impressive, too. Hey, that's a, that was a really nice win. You know, I was glad to see that for Georgia. But I'll tell you what, though, man. I'm, well, I'm glad to see that for Stetson Bennett. All right, so, folks, he's Georgia's quarterback. We're going to talk a lot about quarterbacks here today. We're going to talk about Drew Aller and when we expect him to play for Penn State. Will there be a quarterback competition? Uh, next year between Drew Aller, Sean Clifford, Christian Bayou. Well, we're, we're going to get into that. But if you don't know Stetson Bennett's story, it's basically the Matt McGloin story ending with a national championship. It's, it's remarkable. Stetson Bennett grows up in Georgia, dreams about playing for the Bulldogs, goes there as a walk-on. He's never going to play. He's never going to see the field. So he leaves. He goes to a JUCO, does really well. He's playing behind five-star guys like Justin Fields and coming in. He ends up coming back to Georgia, gets a scholarship. He's going to play behind JT Daniels from USC, the transfer. And then all of a sudden, Daniels gets hurt, and and Stetson Bennett is on the field playing. It's It's just like Matt McGloin, a guy that nobody thought could really do a whole heck of a lot. And yet Stetson Bennett... He didn't, he wasn't a game manager. If you watch the national championship game, he was kind of a game manager through Georgia's season. He didn't have to win games. Their defense won games. Stetson Bennett won that game. They were down 18 to 13 after he had made that, you know, bizarre fumble on a crazy pass. And he comes right back down the field and leads them to a touchdown, Jared. So when we talk about the national championship, I've always had a soft spot in my heart for Matt McGloin because I think he has. He's moxie. I mean, he's moxie, man. You know who's more moxie than Matt McGloin? Stetson Bennett. I mean, I, I when you think about a kid winning a national title the way he did, it's a, just an incredible story. Yeah, and I, I mean, he played really well. Georgia just demolished them in the fourth quarter. It was something 
I really haven't seen. They just outlasted and just out physical um, Nick Saban and uh, Nick Saban's defense and and Alabama. But it's it's good. It's great for for that team, that program. Bennett was great on Good Morning America. He was feeling it as he should have been. Um, but it, it begs the question. Kirby Smart had a tough decision to make at the beginning of this or during the season. JT Daniels right. goes with Bennett. Yeah, and it's a guy that nobody knows unless you're on that team and you've read that program. Who the hell is this guy? Yeah. Right? Well, then and he sticks with him. And 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 the fans. Okay, listen, folks. We're, why are we talking about Georgia and their quarter? Because a lot of this can relate to what we're going to talk about with Penn State. What we just saw was the equivalent of Mason Stahl beating out Drew Aller and leading Penn State to a national title. There's no way in hell that's ever going to happen, right? That's what happened at Georgia. This kid is a walk-on. He's playing behind one five-star dude after another. Nobody wants him playing. Even when Georgia's crushing everybody, every time the guy threw an incomplete pass, people wanted him on the bench because they wanted JT Daniels playing. It would be the equivalent of next year, Drew Aller coming in, five-star number one quarterback in the country. You got Sean Clifford. You got uh, Bo Prabula. You got Christian Bayou. Oh, but hey, by, by the middle of the year, Mason Stahl is your starting quarterback and you're kicking everybody's ass with him. That That's what happened with George. I mean, it really, truly is an um, unbelievable story. Right, and I think that's what makes it so unique. But but I think the, the kudos here goes to Kirby Smart. He stuck with them yep. and it paid off. When, when all the odds were saying, hey, stick with the good guy. Stick with the guy that was at USC. Stick with the high ta- highly talented guy. And he stuck with Barrett, uh, Bennett, and here they are. And, and you know, at Penn State, the, they could have had a chance to, to go with Christian Veyu or even take one Roberson at, at multiple points after the Iowa game. But it, neither one of them uh, was an option, I, I, I guess, according to James Franklin. I mean – Roberson looked absolutely atrocious against Iowa, um, you know, and, but that very easily, he comes in and wins that game. And, and maybe we're talking a completely different tune for Penn State moving forward in that season. Well, and that's why, again, what we want to get into today is, will there be a quarterback competition next year for Penn State? Because Sean Clifford will be back. For his 17th season as a starting quarterback, he's going to be 41 years old. We know what Sean Clifford can do. And you're going to bring in Drew Aller, the number one quarterback in the country. So, Jared, let me just ask you, you you, you tell me yes or no if you think there will be a quarterback competition next year. I think there should be. Um, nope, that's not, that's not what I asked you. I asked you if there will be. I think it's too early to tell. Um, Come on. Because- no, there's no, no. The answer is no. There is no way. Don't fall into this bullshit that James Franklin's going to feed you. Sean Clifford is going to be the starting quarterback. Let's get real. We know the answer. There, Drew Aller's going to have no chance to be the starting quarterback unless he comes in and completes 100% of his passes for 10 months. Sean Clifford is the starting quarterback. And even so, then, he still might not be the starting quarterback. Now, right now, now let, me, let me point out what I'm saying. I'm talking about the starting quarterback for the beginning of the year. Sean Clifford is going to be back legitimately for his sixth year. He's going to be a four-year starting quarterback. Believe me, it's early. It's middle January right now. James Franklin is going to leave the door open for Drew Aller to be the starting quarterback. 
He absolutely will be. He has to. He has to. Because if you don't give Drew Aller every opportunity to prove what he can do, what might Drew Aller do a year from now, Jared? He might jump ship. Maybe somebody comes and offers him a million, a million and a half bucks to jump ship in the transfer portal. If he wasn't given every opportunity, this is where we are right now, okay? I don't believe there's any, I don't believe there's any way that there's a quarterback competition. Yeah, James Franklin can say so, and I won't believe it at all. And and we and, and we can play this game, which we're gonna play. We're gonna play this game for 10 months, for, for nine months. We're gonna play this game about who's the starter. And I can promise you Sean Clifford's gonna be the starter barring something crazy like an injury or just ridiculous now again that's the beginning of the year what if what if Sean Clifford struggles what if Penn State starts losing games then would there be a change you're talking about this kid is the fr- the future of the franchise all right you're talking about Clifford they they trust Clifford they start at Purdue then they go to Auburn in week three and the original schedule had them play in Ohio State in week five and Michigan on the road in week six. All right. Well, that schedule changed. Now Ohio State's pushed back. Now Michigan, you got to buy before Michigan. I think a lot of things change here, Jared. I think the dynamic changes. I have no doubt Sean Clifford will be the starter at the beginning of the year. Now, it, depending on what he does, might we see Drew Aller get an opportunity to move in at some point? That's what's going to be interesting. I'm Look, folks, I cut through coach speak. I generally don't believe a lot of what coaches say because coaches have to lie for a living. Co- Sean James Franklin has to tell has to tell everybody that Drew Aller is competing for the job so that Drew Aller doesn't get upset and leave. That's just the way this goes. If a kid feels like he's not giving every given every opportunity to compete for something, what's that kid going to do? He can transfer. And I'm not saying Drew Aller's ever going to transfer, but I know that 30% of the kids in college football were in the transfer portal last year. And so you've got to play this game, Jared. You're a high school coach. Don't you have to play this game with high school athletes and and lead them on and let them believe certain things just so that they stay engaged, so that they don't quit? Yeah, I mean, to an extent, I mean, you have to be realistic and and talk about the roles. And I think, you know, Sean Clifford and Drew Aller and and even, you know, Christian Bayou and and Bo Perbola – you got to look at, you got to sit those guys down in their meeting room and say, hey, this is what you got. This is what this is what we expect from you. Is there a competition right now? It's Sean's job. But let's be real here. We are looking for anybody to take this position and run with it. We are looking for the best opportunity to win on Saturdays at Penn State. Now, the issue that James Franklin is going to have, James Franklin is a fiercely loyal guy. And that has come back to haunt him at times throughout his tenure at Penn state. So for me, Clifford is the guy right now. Does that not, does that mean that somebody in the room isn't better than he is? I think they very well could be. And they honestly should be Um, the way that they've recruited that position. And let's be real. Drew Aller is, is their guy. He is Mike Yurcich's guy. And he is Franklin's guy. That's the guy that they want piloting the ship. I think, you know, the first couple of slip-ups for Sean Clifford, even though he's a seventh, eighth-year starter, you, you got to make the move, and you got to see what they got. And I think they have two two opportunities early in the season to see that. I mean, you don't know what you're going to get at Purdue, but that's always a tough place to play. Um, early in the season, first game, Big Ten, 
Obviously, we know Big Ten conference games matter. First game of the year. Um, then you come back at home and you're at you're against Ohio. That's a perfect opportunity to get some sub some action. Um, and then obviously at Auburn, probably not going to start to see the second team. And then you've got Central Michigan. That's a Big Ten schedule. And you know if you can get some playing time for guys against Ohio and Central Michigan, that's a great thing moving forward and see what you got. Even though those teams aren't quite. Uh, the level that the Big Ten uh, teams are. Yeah, and you know what? There, if Sean Clifford struggles, then sure, we'll see what happens. But this is why I didn't like the fact that Sean Clifford's going to be back in the first place. To me, I've I've said this for months. You go out and you get the best quarterback for next year. Sean Clifford is not the best option at quarterback that Penn State possibly could have gotten for next year. He is not. There is no way. There are guys in the transfer. Caleb Williams from from Oklahoma is in the transfer portal. Dylan Gabriel went to went to Oklahoma from the transfer portal. Keaton Slovis, the kid Pitt got from USC, maybe better than Sean Clifford in a good in a good spot. So what what I don't like is, and this this is just my beef with. I think we talked about this last week some of the ego and arrogance within the Penn State football program. You go four and five, then you bring Sean Clifford back, you let Will Levis go, and then you go seven and five, and basically you make no changes. All of the coaches, all the, all the coaches on the staff are going to return if they want to return. Obviously, Brent Pry left to go to Virginia Tech. They'll lose people that way. No, no changes on the staff. The offensive line was maybe the worst we've ever seen at Penn State. Bill Troutwine still has a job. Um, other areas on the team struggled. And, yeah, I know, I know Joe Lord left for Oregon. Some people left on their own. But Sean Clifford's going to return. It's like, let's just hit the status quo button. Should, shouldn't that bother Penn State fans, Jared? You went four and five, and then you went seven and five. And instead of going out and doing every possible thing, every little thing, to improve your football program, you're hitting the status quo button. You're going to bring your quarterback back. You want him to mentor Drew Aller, so you're going to give him a fourth year as a starter, even though he's completely and totally mediocre. So, I, again, I, I think that what is the goal of the Penn State football program? Three and a half years ago, we were told it was to be elite. They've been below average for most of the last two years, and I don't see a sense of urgency with a coach who now has a 10-year contract doing everything that he possibly can to turn them around immediately. I think that it's, it's a, okay, we're going to, you mentioned earlier, he's, he's loyal. Franklin is very loyal to everyone. He's just going to stay loyal. And, and if they go seven and five again next year, uh, you loyal to everybody again. It's, it's, I just have a big problem with Try, telling people that you're trying to accomplish something and then not really doing everything in the world you can to accomplish it. You know, before we wrap up this first segment, the one thing I, want, I really want to get into before we finish up here, um, my thing with, with Drew Aller is we re, we've seen Christian Hackenberg. We've seen what playing behind a terrible <laughs> offensive line can do right. to a quarterback's psyche. Right. We've seen Sean Clifford at times. More often than not, they're looking at the blue skies, not the blue and white. Uh, stadium so that's I think a factor too if your offensive line isn't going to be competent enough to protect the quarterback 
I think that's a situation where you kind of let Clifford out to dry. And they, I mean, the offensive line has left Clifford out to dry quite a bit. You mentioned Phil Troutline still has um, a job. And I mean, this is year three for him. Year one, I, I consider it a wash because of the way, um, the way that everything was uh, last year, less than impressive. And, and, you know, year year three, you got to step up and, and you've got some horses now. Uh, you got, you got some good recruits. Let's see what, let's see what you can do. Let's see what Landon Tangwall can do and go from there. But if they can't protect the quarterback, well, then you might as well ride Clifford off into the sunset because right. you don't want to damage our psyche. I totally agree with that. That could be a big factor of why we may not see a whole, whole heck of a lot of him because one thing, you know, Clifford is average, but he stays upright. He's able to run. He knows he's able to read defenses. I wouldn't be at all surprised if Sean Clifford is a coach at Penn State in a few years uh, after if he tries to pursue, you know, something in the pros. So I think that is a real good point. And, again, we'll talk about Nick Singleton, the running back, in the next segment, how much will we see him as a true freshman. But I think with regards to the quarterback, it's just one of those situations where they're sticking with what they know, with what they've had, even though what they've had hasn't been all that good, they're, I don't know, maybe they fear change. Maybe they fear the unknown by going out and making too big of a change. But my goodness, man, you were seven and five. You were probably the most disappointing team in the country. Why wouldn't you make any possible change that you could? Yeah, it is, uh, it is different. And I guess we're going to see what happens because obviously we don't get paid to make those types of decisions. If not, we probably wouldn't be talking to you on this fine, uh, on this fine DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network, we're going to talk to you again here uh, when we come back from this quick break uh, on the We Are Podcast. Welcome back to the We Are Podcast, the DK Business Sports Podcasting Network. He's Corey Geiger. I'm Jared Pergar. We thank you, as always, for listening. Corey, the early enrollees are on campus. Their freshman students, their high school careers are over. They still have to graduate, of course, in June, most likely. But they're on campus. And how soon do you think we can see these guys in action for Penn State? Yeah, the one guy I want to focus on specifically is uh, running back Nick Singleton, the Gatorade National Player of the Year. I just wrote a piece about this, a uh, pretty extensive piece at DK Pittsburgh Sports. Um, typically, and I, this this is my feeling for for quarterbacks especially, they need time to sit and learn to figure things out in college. College football is a world of difference from from high school. And I do feel that way about running backs as well. Primarily, you know, most running backs, they need a year to kind of sit and learn uh, and, and just, you know, look, Jared, in high school, man, if you're a star running back, you're just bigger and stronger and faster than everybody. It's, it's men amongst boys. For most superstar high school running backs, and you've been around as a high school football coach, you've seen it. Typically, a, a kid who's awesome in high school, he usually has a great offensive line, and he's he's barely touched before he gets six, eight yards downfield. And that's why they, they can rack up thousands and thousands of yards. Well, you get to college, that's not the case, man. In college, 
everybody's good. Defenders are faster than you. You run into a linebacker. Hell, you run into a defensive end who might be faster than you as a running back. It's an eye-opening experience. So typically speaking, I like to think that running backs come in, feel things out. Maybe you redshirt, maybe you don't as, as your first year. But with Nick Singleton, you know, Kevon Lee comes back, 500 yards rushing this year. Noah Kane transfers. I, I, I mean, Nick Singleton could have a, a legitimate chance to play very early for Penn State and play play a lot. I, I've made a not that I'm comparing Nick Singleton to Saquon Barkley, but Saquon Barkley stepped in as a true freshman in 2015, and after only getting a one carry against Temple that year in the opener, he came on and basically was the main guy starting the next week against Buffalo. This year, Travion Henderson for Ohio State, true freshman, emerged as their starting tailback, ran for 1,200 yards. Um, Braylon Allen, Wisconsin, true freshman, emerged as their starting running back, ran for 1,200 yards. It's possible to do, but I want to bring up what you said earlier, Jared, about Penn State's offensive line. Would you trust Wisconsin? Wisconsin is Wisconsin. You know they're going to have a great offensive line. The 2015 Penn State offensive line was outstanding. Ohio State's offensive line was this year good. Would you trust turning over to a starting to a, a true freshman at Penn State, knowing that maybe the offensive line next year could be a problem again? It's tough because you want to build confidence, and if you don't have that confidence, man, that could stunt your growth um, on the field, especially. And I think that's something you have to be cognizant of because if you're not, man, that that could be the game changer in the career. And I, I I wholeheartedly believe that's a big factor in the the yips and the issues that Christian Hackenberg had throughout his career, both at Penn State and in the NFL as a result of what he went through at Penn State. Because if you're running through that muscle memory that, and, and you just get so used to having the bad mechanics because you're forced to do this or you're forced to read the holes a certain way or read the defense a certain way because you're just getting destroyed, it, it really could impact you. In a, in a really negative way, both confidence-wise and performance-wise um, on the field. Yeah, and, and certainly with a quarterback, you know, Christian got sacked 10 times in that Temple game. He, he became a broken quarterback. But, but again, you take a look at Nick Singleton. He might be incredibly talented physically himself, and I'm sure he is. But it's the situation. Kevon Lee – has played a lot of football over the last two years. With Noah Kane getting hurt in the opener at Indiana last year, Kevon Lee had to step in and play a lot of football. And, you know, he looked he looked better in 2020 than he did in 2021, but it was almost impossible for any Penn State running back to look all that great uh, in 2021. Still, we talked about this earlier with the schedule. You start at Purdue on the road next year. Are you going to have a true freshman? How much are you going to – have confidence and trust in a true freshman on the road in a big 10 game in your opener. Then you go to Auburn in week three. And so um, I, I, my gut feeling would tell me that maybe Nick Singleton doesn't play a whole heck of a lot early next year. And then you kind of ease him into it and we'll see how it goes. You see how Kevon Lee does and maybe week four, five, six, seven, you know, we start to see a lot more Nick Singleton, but Hey, it's not like Penn State, you know, has a lot of great running back possibilities. You got Kaziah Holmes, maybe, unless he transfers. You know, Katron Allen is another freshman coming in. So, but my my biggest issue, Jared, is just that offensive line. You, you want to put people in position to succeed. 
And if you want Nick Singleton to succeed, you know, you, you need you need to have trust that that offensive line can open up some holes for him. Right. And I mean, it's the same thing for, you know, for Kevon Lee and, and Keziah Holmes. They, they're both experienced running backs. Um, I'm very interested to see what what J1 Sider comes up with um, for these running backs and, and the kind of the rotation. I mean, Kevon Lee is the is the is the feature back for me right now. But I would love to see Singleton get some action, get those feet wet, see what he can do. Um, and then if you need to use Kaziah Holmes in a certain way, use him. But again, if the offensive line isn't going to produce and provide holes, then you just kind of use him sparingly and use him in the passing game and, and get him out into space. There are plenty of space, plenty of opportunities to get him on the field. But Corey, you know, they have dreams of playing on Sundays and the Penn State has become a running back factory over the course of the last few seasons with Saquon Barkley. Miles Sanders, who's in the NFL playoffs, got underway this weekend on Saturday. Uh, Miles Sanders plays for the Eagles. Um, can't say that I'm very thrilled about that as a Cowboys fan, but the Cowboys do have, I think, the best player uh, right now uh, in the NFC, at least, in Micah Parsons, who I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I did not expect Micah Parsons to be this good at the game of football this year. Yeah, he's been amazing, man. All pro as a rookie, uh, just sensational. And Jared and I were going through, you know, the list of Penn State guys in the NFL, and it's pretty impressive. A lot of these guys are done or will be done, you know, soon in the playoffs. Maybe they're not on great teams. We'll see how far the Cowboys can go and Micah Parsons can go. Uh, but the one thing Penn State has been exceptional at, and we should mention this, uh, in light of Dwight Galt retiring the strength and conditioning coordinator, Dwight Galt has been as instrumental in that program as probably just about anybody. Dwight, for folks who don't know, the strength and conditioning coach is basically the coach of the kids for, for 12 months out of the year. He's with the kids working them out. And one thing Penn State does an exceptional job is with their physical training, and they, they do great in the combine. They do great on pro day. They get drafted high. And, and the, when these Penn State kids get ready for the NFL or, or going into the NFL, they're physically ready. And that's why I think you look at a Micah Parsons. He was obviously awesome anyway coming into Penn State. But you look at some of these other guys that leave Penn State and, and, and they're set up for success in the NFL because Penn State does a, an outstanding job of, of developing them from a physical table. Now, the frustrating part is – you got all these guys in the NFL, and you're losing games in college. How are you doing that? You're seven and five this year. You might have a first round pick in Jahan Dotson. You might have a first round pick in Jaquan Brisker. So you see what I'm getting at, Jared? What, where, where are these results if you've got the, all this talent on your college roster? Right, exactly. Now, a lot of these guys that we're talking about that are in the NFL right now, they've won at Penn State, whether it was a Cotton Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, they played in the Rose Bowl. Uh, potentially, but yeah, I mean, you got it. There was what, and I think that goes back to the identity of the university. Do you want to produce players to go to the NFL? It's great. That's awesome. That's great branding. A lot of yada, 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 but you, but you, you've got to want to win games at the college level with those guys. And you know, with, with most, most of these guys they have, I mean, 
Listen, Sam Fickens on the Titans roster. Trace McSorley is on the Cardinals roster. He's probably going to be inactive on Sunday. Um, Jack Crawford, who's carved out a really nice career for himself. Um, Connor McGovern is getting some fullback action in the Cowboys offense. Corey, get excited for that. Um, you know, and some of those guys that, that just finished up, Carl Nassib and Nick Bowers for the Raiders. You know, Nassib, first openly gay player um, in NFL history to play, had a pretty good season for the Raiders and, and, and for them making the playoffs. They lost to the Cincinnati Bengals. They have finally sent a text saying the Cincinnati Bengals have won a playoff game. They hadn't done that since before text messaging um, was a thing. That's wild. Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, one of the biggest names that Penn State has in the NFL, one of the best players, is Chris Godwin. And that's a big factor because I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, I'm, it, it's between them and, and the Packers for me winning the Super Bowl. But Godwin not being able to play is a huge loss for the Buccaneers. Donovan Smith, by the way, is the left tackle for Tampa, uh, won the Super Bowl last year. But without Godwin, that's that's a major loss on that uh, Buccaneers roster because Chris Godwin is an outstanding, outstanding NFL receiver. And so as we're going through all these guys that, you know, are in the NFL from Penn State, um, and, you know, Pat Frymuth had a great rookie season. would be remiss not to mention that here uh, in Steelers country. But I think Godwin, that could be a major, major factor. Uh, in, in fact, I, I'm – I'm probably picking the Packers to win the Super Bowl. I, I rarely pick against Tom Brady, but I, I'm going to pick the Packers maybe just because I'm, I'm a little concerned without Godwin and losing Antonio Brown. What a nut job that freaking guy is. But you know what else he is? He's a fantastic receiver. And so yes. I, just, I just wonder – how much of you know that that losing that combination could end up hurting the Buccaneers? Now, of course, the Buccaneers still have the Polish god of tight ends, and that's Rob Gronkowski, Woodland Hills product. Rob Gronkowski, a Pennsylvania guy. Uh, they also have Mike Evans, a stud receiver. Um, there's also a possibility as they get later in the playoffs that they get Leonard Fournette back. Um, you mentioned Green Bay, Adrian Amos, uh, former Penn State defensive back. Uh, he's had a really, really, really good. good. NFL career. Um, so I think that's huge for him. Uh, the, we are recording this during the New England uh, Buffalo Bills games, and, and Charles Davis mentioned in the broadcast uh, how much Ryan Bates has meant to the Buffalo Bills offensive line. Um, you know, and they are just absolutely dismantling or dismantled um, the Patriots. They beat, they beat Bill Belichick by 30 points which is just absurd to me. Um, they went, they went, they, you know, Highmark Stadium, 47-17. They, they took zero prisoners in that game. Josh Allen, incredible game. Um, we can't forget about Marcus Allen for the Steelers, Nick Scott and Grant Haley for the Rams, Kevin Gibbons, and then I think the greatest kicker of all time for Penn State, uh, Robbie Gold, who had an up-and-down college career but has really been, you know, the marker for consistency uh, in the NFL with the 49ers. Yeah, there is a when – we, when we talk about these lists, Robbie played at Penn State so long ago. I mean, and, and as you mentioned, he wasn't 
he wasn't overly consistent in college, but, but what an NFL career he has had. Um, as we're talking about Micah Parsons, I just wanted to throw this out. One guy that one Penn State product that I have always felt never truly got the amount of recognition for as great as he was, was Navarro Bowman. Yes. Navarro Bowman was the best linebacker in the NFL for a three, four year period. And with the 49ers. Yeah, we talk about obviously the phenomenal linebackers Penn State has had, linebacker you, and people talk about LeVar Arrington. Navarro Bowman was significantly better than LeVar Arrington in the NFL. We remember LeVar in college, and he, he's going to the College Football Hall of Fame. Congratulations. Paul Puzlesny, phenomenal guy. Navarro Bowman at his peak. Now, Navarro got hurt, and so he didn't, he wasn't able to sustain it for 10 years. But for a four-year period, Navarro Bowman was the best linebacker Penn State has had in the NFL probably since, uh, you know, maybe even more so, more so even than Shane Conlon, going back all the way to Jack Ham. Uh, and so when we take a look at Micah Parsons and we think, who could Micah Parsons be? Um, right, right now, he, he played this year the way Navarro Bowman did for a few years. It's just unfortunate that that guy got hurt. No, I can't um, – I can't – not mentioned Sean Lee. Yep. Who had a really good run with the Cowboys. Now you mentioned Robbie Gold's been in the league forever. 2005 was the year that he was signed as an undrafted free agent out of college. 2005. Yeah. Corey, I, that it's over half of my life. He's been in the NFL. Hey, you know what? Uh, I think Jared, you've seen this. We, th- this is just a little aside here for a minute. People have no concept how difficult it is kicking a field goal. Would you believe that? Would you would you agree with that, Jared? Again, Jared's a high school football coach, um, and so you're around football players. If you took the average Joe off of the street, even a pretty good athlete, Jared, guys that play basketball, baseball, tennis, whatever, what percentage I'm, – I'm real curious your thoughts on this. What percentage of decent athletes in this country do you think could kick a 35-yard field goal. Oh, less than 3%. Yeah, I, I, that's right. That number is so small. I didn't include soccer players. Soccer players, that number is huge. That, that number might be 80%. But uh, my boy's nine years old. We go out to Mansion Park here in Altoona and kick some field goals. He kicked a 20-yard field goal at nine years old. I just about lost it, man, because – uh, I, I, I can barely kick a 35 yard field goal and I'm very inconsistent at it. Practice. It is so, unless you actually practice it and try it and know what to do. Uh, so again, you talk about Robbie gold, you talk about, uh, these NFL kickers can go out and make 50 yard field goals. So consistently, it's probably the biggest outside of the, just the sheer passing game element in the NFL, the ability of kickers to make every field goal look simple I think is the biggest change in the NFL probably in the last 20 years. I mean, when I was growing up, 50-yard field goals were very rare. Now these dudes all have 60-yard range. And so, again, while while we're talking about gold, uh, Robbie Gold, I just want to give a shout-out to – because no matter how good of an athlete or how much sports you watch, we just take complete for granted how good these kickers are, man. 
Yeah, they make it look so easy, and then we get mad at them when they shank one. It's like, oh, that looks stupid. Yeah. You know, it, it's kind of funny. Don't but, try it. Yeah, right. But, you know, before we get into the, to the last segment, Corey, who do you think is going to be the last Penn State player standing? That will be Donovan Smith, uh, because I think I, I got the Chiefs and the Packers going to the Super Bowl. And, oh, so I guess that would be Adrian Amos. So Adrian Amos for the Packers. Uh, so I was thinking Donovan Smith for the Buccaneers, but I, I think maybe the Packers. Penn State does not have anybody on the Chiefs, as far as I know. So I guess it would be – I think Adrian Amos might have a shot to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think Adrian Amos has a great shot. Um, selfishly, as a Cowboys fan, unabashed, uh, I think – you know, Parsons and McGovern have a good chance. Don't want to jinx them. I'm very nobody in this country wants the damn Cowboys to win the Super Bowl. Come on. Unless you are actually <laughs> their fans, Corey, please. Yeah. It's, a, it's no funny. Stop here. with the slander. What's it like to be a Cowboys fan, man? Because... I'm not used to it this time of year because usually they're so far out of it and there's no disappointment. No, but what's it like to have every look, if you're a Cowboys fan, you're a Cowboys fan. What's it like to have everybody else hate you? Because nobody, nobody really hates the Buccaneers. Nobody hates the Packers. Nobody hates the Steelers. They did everybody, hate Tom Brady and the Patriots, though. Right, but everybody, if you're if you're a if you're a Cowboys fan, obviously you love the Cowboys. But if you're not a Cowboys fan, most likely you just simply loathe that organization because of Jerry Jones and all the loudmouth stuff. And obviously we hear about it five hours a day from screaming a Smith on the Cowboys, skip Bayless. But what, what's it like to be a fan that, uh, of a team that everybody hates? Well, you wish that skip Bayless wasn't a fan of the Cowboys. Uh, number one, but number two, um, it, it's wild because, you know, in central Pennsylvania, a lot of people are obviously Steelers fans. And if you don't like the Steelers, you're kind of the odd man out. I am the odd man out. Not necessarily my friend group. I have a couple, there are a couple other Cowboys fans and a couple other random teams like the Vikings and the Browns, but the Browns aren't really relevant. So that really doesn't matter right now. But it, but it's weird because, you know, the Steelers in the last decade and a half have had a great amount of success while the Cowboys are sitting there middling at eight and eight uh, and Jason Garrett was just clapping all the time. You know, you get excited and, and the Cowboys have a great season and, and then, like, Tony Romo gets hurt, uh, which was pretty typical. Sean Lee gets hurt all the time. And then Dez caught it, and that was miserable. Um, I remember I was at Neville Island when, when that game happened against the Green Bay Packers, and you could see my face get as white as a ghost mm-hmm. um, because they were just plays away from, from getting to where they wanted to go. And, you know, it, so you mentioned, back to your question, you mentioned what it's like. Um, you know, more often than not, it's not too bad because the Cowboys have won some games this year. Dak, I think it's great. They have some great skill guys. And obviously Micah Parsons being a local guy in Harrisburg and at Penn state, I think is huge, but I'm not getting my hopes up because I'm just so used to disappointment and they're going up against Kevin Givens and Robbie gold and the 49ers and the 49ers are playing pretty well. So, you know, I, my mother is a 49ers fan. She was a big Joe Montana fan for reasons that I really can't say on the air here. Um, it wasn't because he was a nice Catholic boy that went to Notre Dame and went to Ringgold High School in, in Western Pennsylvania. But so we have dinner bet. We have a dinner bet on that game. So that'll be fun. And the 
um, you know, dealing with that. But I'm I'm cautiously optimistic because my feeling is that they'll lose and then Kellen Moore and um, and Dan Quinn end up leaving and we're back to square one with Mike McCarthy, who's also a Western Pennsylvania guy. Hey, I grew up in Arkansas and pretty much the state team in Arkansas has always been the Cowboys. And so uh, running around as a little kid, I had the Tony Dorsett jersey on, number 33. Uh, I, I, when I got to learn football, I became a Miami Dolphins fan because of Dan Reno. But I, I, I used to love me some Tony Dorsett. And so, folks, if you're, if you're in the Western PA area listening to this, you, you, may, you probably know this story. If you're not, you, you probably don't know this story. Jared, I'm not certain you know this story. His name is not Tony Dorsett, all right? Growing up in Pittsburgh, it was Tony Dorsett. And everyone there still calls him Dorsett. And so uh, when I first came up here in 1999, I'm telling my former boss at the Altoona Mirror, Neil Riddell, I had my Tony Dorsett jersey on, and he starts calling him Dorsett. Like, what the hell are you talking about? His name growing up was Dorsett, Tony Dorsett. And then he becomes a superstar, and all of a sudden, it's Tony Dorsett. So kind of fascinating how little things like that pop up in, in the world. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned him. So I played club baseball at Robert Morris for a couple of years. And we, when you play club baseball, you kind of really don't have a home field unless, you know, you're, you're fortunate to be at a bigger university. So we kind of bounced around. But we played uh, at Hopewell, which is where – um, where Tony Dorsett played in high school in Aliquippa, PA, played at Hopewell. Um, and, and the name of their football stadium is, is named after him. And, you know, he had an illustrious career both there and at Pitt and with the Cowboys. And it, it's, it's always funny because you, you, you think of this guy as a, as a, obviously a global name, a, a big name, Hall of Famer. And then you're like, oh, shit, he's kind of from our backyard. And when I you think- went to the stadium, what did, what did the people call the stadium? Tony Dorsett Stadium. They called it Dorsett. Mm-hmm. I'm stunned because, again, no one there, no one who grew up with Tony Dorsett there calls him that. It's Dorsett. Yeah, it's um, – but a lot of us weren't necessarily from around that area either. Yeah, sure. But, I wondered if, there, if you encounter any old-timers at the school, you know, and then would it even be – would it even be appropriate for them to say Tony Dorsett st- – would that be – would that be uh, blasphemous? Oh, I don't know, but we've talked a lot about some pit guys. So I, before these folks decide that we're going to be the Hail to Pit podcast. Hey, Dan Marino. Carter, I love that Dan Marino. Yeah, Dan Marino. We had Dorset, Dorset. We had everybody. You know, we might as well mention Jimbo Covert while we're What about at Larry it. Fitzgerald? That dude was awesome. You know, the Arizona Cardinals, they finally get rid of Larry, Larry Fitzgerald. Doesn't play hey, and quick boom, story. in the playoffs again. Hey, people can listen or not. Who the hell? We're, we're entertaining ourselves. Quick story. Watching the Super Bowl in my office at the Altoona Mirror. Larry Fitzgerald scores on the long touchdown. I want to say there's give or take two and a half minutes ago, Jared. We're watching it with a bunch of Steelers fans. Everybody's dressed up. As soon as he takes off, Larry's taking off and he's scoring the touchdown. I start going, okay, yeah, well, this is good. This is good. And everybody around me is like, what are you talking about? You're crazy. I'm like, look how much time is left. Look how much time is left. Mm-hmm. You did not want the Cardinals to score that touchdown with 52 seconds to go. And I'll have to double check. I want to say it was give or take 235 or so. Plenty of time for Ben to come down to make what I think was the greatest throw in Super Bowl history on the catch of Santonio. San but since we're talking pit, guys, always remember that 
them scoring that early and giving the Steelers a lot of time. Exactly. So enough about the Cardinals and the NFL playoffs. Let's get back to Penn State when we get back from this quick break on the We Are Podcast and DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the We Are Podcast, the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. He's Corey Geiger. I'm Jared Pugar. Corey, football isn't the only sport played at um, Penn State, right? They have a bunch of Division I programs and a bunch of them that are nationally prominent, like the fencing team, the women's volleyball team, and even, yes, this is going to be a shocker to most people, even the men's basketball team at Penn State. Well, let's hope there. What we're going to discuss here is that Micah Shrewsbury is building a good foundation this year. Um, I am a huge college basketball fan. It's my favorite sport. We're middle of January here. We're really starting to heat up with these programs around the country having to turn it on uh, to start to kind of make a push for the NCAA tournament. I love it. I love it when Penn State basketball is relevant in February. It, it just hasn't happened very much. A few times they've won an NIT title. And when, and when, when you go to the NIT, you're at least relevant because you're kind of on the bubble. Uh, I was actually in Tucson, Arizona, uh, a little bit more than a decade ago for their NCAA tournament game against Temple. I was covering that game for the Altoona Mirror, sitting front row courtside. And Jared Mann, Taylor Battle hits a three on the other end. You're like, oh, boy, they're going to win this game. Literally 15 feet in front of me, I believe the guy's name was Juan Fernandez, does a tremendous up-and-under move on Tim Frazier, who had was playing great defense. And uh, Fernandez does an up-and-under, hits a jumper to send Penn State home. It happened 15 feet in front of me. And I always remember that because that was a Penn State team that legitimately could have gone to the Sweet 16, which they've only ever done once with uh, with Joe Crispin. So, you know, I love to see Penn State basketball succeed. And I really, I really hope, Jared, that we are seeing a good, solid foundation being built by Micah Shrewsbury here. Yeah, I mean, the 2020 season is, is always going to be one that I think Penn State wishes would have finished because that team, I thought, could have been really good. They had Lamar Stevens, and, and Pat Chambers had them playing really well, and I thought they could have done some damage in the tournament, but unfortunately, COVID happened, and it was the perfect way to get Pat Chambers and his off-the-court stuff out, whether that was deserved, warranted, or whatever. It's for another debate and probably another podcast. But, you know, the Bryce Jordan Center, when it's filled, is a fun place to be at. I mean, they, but, but Shrewsbury, man, I think the job that he did keeping these guys at Penn State when they were all in the portal um, following um, Jim Ferry not being retained, um, it's tough. You know, these guys have been through a lot. But I'll tell you what, man, they show up to the gym every day and they work. And that's a testament to Shrewsbury and his staff that I think has just infinitely gotten better and better. They went on a little two-week spurt where they didn't play a game. 
And I think that was the best thing that could have happened to Penn State, which is a really weird thing to say. But a first-year coach, um, I mean, he was he was in the lab, man. The kids were in the lab, and and it's paying off. They're they're competing against nationally ranked teams against Purdue. Um, you know, I, I believe they've got a big game coming up here uh, today. Ohio State. I, I want to mention something here about uh, the transfer portal and just what it could mean for Penn State basketball. And I'm going to do so by throwing out the name Isaiah Brockington. Isaiah Brockington is at uh, – he transferred to Iowa State. And Iowa State right now is 14-3. and three. They are the number 15 team in the country. He is their best player. Last year, Iowa State, Jared, last year, Iowa State went 2-22. Two and 2-22. Two. Two and 22. Uh, Steve Prohm, their coach, was ousted after that. That's been a very good basketball program for a long time. Mm-hmm. Two and 22. They get Isaiah Brockington. They retool some other things. They get some other players. Now they're the number 15 team in the country. Uh, Michael Shrewsbury did do an excellent job uh, communicating with John Hara, communicating with Seth Lundy, uh, making sure that these guys stayed uh, instead of transferring. They lost Myron Jones. They lost uh, some other guys. I think if this – what could have happened if this Penn State team had Isaiah Brockington. I, I said this on the I, – I, I just kind of threw this out on the radio the other day, just kind of willy-nilly, maybe without giving it the proper amount of thought. And I've thought about it since, and I said, with Isaiah Brockington, this could be an NCAA tournament team for Penn State. Now, Penn State's 3-3 three and three in the Big Ten. I don't necessarily think this is going to last a whole – because the Big Ten's tough. So I think they're going to probably – you know, if they can go win seven, eight games, that's seven and 13. That, that's nowhere close to an NCAA tournament, obviously. Seven and 13, eight and 12. You put Isaiah Brockington on team, because Isaiah Brockington was their best player. And so the point I'm trying to make is what we're going to look for in the, in the future, not only with Penn State, but all throughout college basketball, can you get the right one or two guys from the portal? This year, Micah Shrewsbury brought in Jalen Pickett from Siena. He's been fantastic. All right. If he could have kept Isaiah Brockington, what would that do? But the point is, if if Shrewsbury can get – Iowa State goes from 2-22 and 22 to the number 15 team in the country. Why can't Penn State do that? Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny, you know, how much of one player matters, right? And, and just – like I said, I mean, it was just impressive that he was able to to keep those guys intact and, and to keep them there and, and coach them up because those are guys that he didn't – well, he did recruit, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, but he didn't recruit them um, per se. But, yeah, I mean, I think Shrewsbury is doing a really good job. Uh, it, it's not the easiest of circumstances. Let's be real. That, that team is overshadowed by the wrestling program, by the football program. Um you know, the girls basketball program is, is, is okay. Um, you know, they have a, they have a third year coach and in, in Carolyn uh, Keeger. And, you know, it, it's just one of those situations um, that, Hey, guess what? Shrewsbury is here to stay. And, and, you know, I think he's got the pedigree and, and he's showing what makes him such a good head coach. And, you know, this is his first head coaching experience uh, at this level. And I think, you know, that speaks volumes too, because 
let's be real. It's not easy at all to, to come in and coach, be a head coach at any level, let alone the division one level. What Penn state does well is they play a style that, I mean, they held Rutgers to 49 points. That's, that's tough to do. Uh, 66, 49 in, in that win, but they play a good defensive style. They really get after it. And to do that, you really got to have guys who are going to buy in, all right? You, mm-hmm. You're going to buy in. Everybody wants to shoot. Everybody wants to score. Hell, I'm 48 years old. If I get out on a court, I'm looking to score, man. I'm looking to shoot. These 16, 17, 18-year-old high school kids, they want to score. You get to college, everybody wants to shoot. But to win at a high level, once you get college and pros, you've got to defend at a really, really high level, sometimes more than these kids have ever defended in their lives. And what I really like that Shrewsbury is doing, he's gotten these guys to buy in to defending that way. Uh, Seth Lundy's having a terrific defensive year. Sam Sessoms is a scorer. Sam Sessoms is an offensive guy. You're going to need to him to show effort on the defensive end. You're going to need Jalen Pickett to show great effort on the defensive end because that's what it's going to take in the Big Ten. When look, because Penn State's not going to be as talented as most teams they play in the Big Ten year in and year out. But if you play a style and a system like Purdue did, you know Purdue uh, is a stalwart in the Big Ten and has been for decades because they play a style. They've got good players. Don't get me wrong. Purdue's always had good players. But they're going to get after you on both ends of the court. And so, to me, Micah Shrewsbury building that foundation. And, again, then it'll be about getting the right guys. Can you get the right recruits from high school, one, and and then, two, get them to stay? Because if they go to Penn State for a year and they do well, then they could transfer. But the bottom line is I think Penn State, if Shrewsbury can really hammer the transfer portal – and get one or two guys every year, the right one or two guys, and then keep the right one or two guys. Again, he wasn't able to keep Brockington. If, if, if that's your formula, that is a formula to succeed. Maybe not every year, because you're not going to hit a home run in the portal every year, but that is a formula to succeed over an extended period of time. Right. And, and you know, it's tough to win at Penn State. It's tough to win in the Big Ten. It's one of the most competitive conferences in college basketball right up there with the ACC uh, in my opinion so uh, it'll be interesting to see how they can continue to build on what they've done early in the season in the Big Ten um, and and continue that success and see see if it is sustainable and see what kind of job that Shrewsbury can do and I think the 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 future is very bright for Penn State as as far as the hoops teams go Um, so it'll be very interesting to see uh, what happens moving forward and just closing it, closing that part of the discussion, because I, I can go on and on about college basketball. And, and if you're listening to this podcast, maybe you don't care about Penn State basketball. But I will say this. Maybe Penn State doesn't have a huge fan base for basketball. But the people who are Penn State basketball fans, they do care. They care. I, I've, I've talked about Penn State a ton on my, on my radio show for more than a decade. I, I've covered them off and on whenever I could. When, and you mentioned earlier, Jared, when they're playing well and the Jordan Center gets a lot of people, it's fun. It, it is good to see, you know, it, it, they, uh, I, I, I truly do, we're not maybe supposed to wish for these kinds of things, you know, as, as sports journalists, but I truly do wish that Penn State basketball would be relevant because it does make the winter months in Central PA, January, February. Look, all we've got to talk about here is, 
How much will Drew Aller play next year? When will Nick Singleton play next year? How about Micah Parsons? I mean, you know, other, other major programs around the country, they're talking about their basketball team right now getting ready to try to make an NCAA tournament run. So I would love if we could have those kinds of discussions, you know, six, seven times a decade with Penn State basketball. Yeah, and, and listen, college basketball is a blast for me. I grew up, um, you know, I, I, I'm a big-time Carolina basketball fan. I love Michael Jordan. I, I grew up Carolina fan. I'm actually going to the Carolina Duke game uh, February 5th in Chapel Hill. Um, that's my reward. So if the bosses are listening, I'm going to need off February 5th. Um, I will also put that in writing. But, you know, it, it, the college basketball is so fun, man. And, and it's funny because um, – I coached, or I went to Robert Morris. Robert Morris, their biggest rival was St. Francis. Well, St. Francis's head coach is now one of my best friends, and Rob Krimmel. Uh, Rob and I coach baseball together, uh, coach little league baseball together. His his kids are good athletes, and you know he and I used to go or go back and forth all the time about you know different rivalries and stuff like that. And I was like, this is like Carolina Duke and and on Route Twenty Two, and you know for me it, it's fun because you know the banter with him and the banter with Andy tool at Robert Morris, because I, I, you know, I put a lot, spent a lot of money at Robert Morris uh, to get my, my, my excellent bachelor's um, bachelor's degree uh, in business administration with a concentration in sport management. And here I am talking about sports. Um, but you know, that's what makes college basketball fun. You know, when that Bryce Jordan center is bumping, when the UPMC event center is bumping, when the Dean dome is bumping, when, um, when you know everything is it, it's just, that's just what makes college sports so special and that's the big house that's in football too and, and hockey and and like yost ice arena and and even the and even pigula you know that's that's college basketball it's college athletics i would love to see a, an intense fencing match though Corey, don't you think <laughs> fencing that's I, I, I don't know anything about fencing but i will echo those sentiments that um, when you ha- when you have a good program, there's a lot to be proud of. The Penn State wrestling program, the best in the country. Penn State women's volleyball was the best in the country for a long time. Congratulations on Russ Rose on his retirement. Penn State has a lot of programs that do great things. Man, I would love to see the basketball program be one of those. Right. And so, Corey, I'm giving you, a, as a teacher, I'm giving you an assignment as my pupil you need to do some research on fencing uh, and I'll do the same. And then we'll come back in the third segment next week will be about fencing and how beautiful of a sport being able to play with a sword must be. Wow. That's going to be our worst segment ever on this show. Corey, we've had three of them for everyone, but I think our, I, I think our second segment today was our best segment on the show. I'd go back and listen to that second segment. We had, we had a lot of good time in that segment. Yes. And I hope that you're staying tuned for all of our segments because they're all amazing. No matter what Corey seems to think about me wanting to talk about fencing and no, that's not a plug for any local fencing companies. We're talking to sport. Um, but until next week and until our fencing conversation, it's the off season for football, man. Things are getting wild. We're talking about fencing. But for Corey Geiger, I'm Jared Brugar. Thanks, for, as always, for tuning in to the We Are Podcast and DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Have a safe, healthy week, and hopefully you stay safe and out of the weather should we get any for Martin Luther King Day. Thanks.